The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Getting started in a new series tonight, and I want to begin by taking us back just over 14 years ago. It was a Monday night, and I was engaged, but my fiance was off uh, doing other things on this Monday night, so it was an opportunity for me to go over to a friend's uh, apartment, get caught up. We, were, we, we had been planning for a while to get together, uh, catch up, make a little bit of dinner, and then uh, watch some, some Pearl Jam concert DVDs. It was going to be awesome. You know, hop on the couch, maybe throw some pillows and you know, mess some things up in his apartment because that's what Pearl Jam music does to you. So we, we got, no, seriously, I, when Pearl Jam 10 came out when I was in high school, I almost dropped out of school because of it. It was so awesome. So we had this Monday night, we were fired up and it, it was great. Fellowship, off the charts, good times. I crashed over at his apartment that night over there on East, on the, the East Slope of Queen Anne. And what wasn't so awesome is that I woke up the next morning to him tapping me on the shoulder going, church, dude, wake up. Two terrorists have flown planes into the World Trade Center in New York City. And of course, I woke up, we turned on the TV news, and I remember sitting there uh, mostly in silence as we watched television and watched the events of September 11th, 2001 play out. Uh, I remember looking across Lake Union on just a perfect blue sky day. There was not a cloud in the sky, nor was there an airplane in the sky at that point. As we heard this news where there was all sorts of things running through my heart and mind. There was anger. There, there, there was sadness. Um, there was confusion. And of course, there were lots and lots of questions. It's a day that I remember really well. And of course, as I heard the events of last Friday as they unfolded in France, I was aware that that was a moment that the rest of the world, certainly our brothers and sisters in France, throughout Europe, and and I really think all over the world, again, experienced something like what I did and what I think many of us, uh, many of our, our parents felt on September 11, 2001. What happens, right, when we hear of, of news that is shocking, that is surprising, that we don't know how to respond to? There's just a lot that goes through our, our, our heart and mind, right? Well, I, I want to use that to, to get us thinking about what we will be doing here for the rest of the quarter here at the end. We are going to start a new series where we are going to, I hope, get a jump start on the holidays, where, though many of you have probably already busted out the Christmas music and have been wondering, church, dude, what's been taking you so long? Let's go on the whole Christmas thing. Well, here we go. We're going to do that starting, uh, starting tonight. Uh, to do that, we're going to look at the third book of the New Testament. And we're going to take a look at the Christmas story through the Gospel of Luke. Now, to do this, we are going to turn our attention to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to do two things as we do that. 
First, I, we're going to look at Mary's response to this news that would have been incredibly shocking to her, much like the news that, that we would have experienced uh, in the news over the past week that just leaves us going, what in the world is going on? We're going to look at Mary's response to this news of God showing God's self to her and I think to us in a new way. And what does it look like for us to respond to that news? Second, I want us to try and grasp more of the meaning of Christmas. Over the next month, many of us will spend time with family, and we will also spend a lot of money. We will go to parties, and we will listen to lots of festive music. At least I know I will. We'll put lights on our house, and we'll put a giant tree in our living room. Why do we go through all the trouble? in lives that I already know to be incredibly busy, why do, we, why do we do all this stuff? Well, it's because Christmas is good news. At Christmas, there is, in fact, something to celebrate, and I hope that you grasp that a little bit more as we journey together right up until uh, we take a break uh, for finals. Does that sound good? Thumbs up if you're on board. I want to see lots of thumbs. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hopefully, for those of you that are still skeptical, stay with me. Let's, uh, let's journey through this together. All right, the story of the birth of Jesus. Many of you are familiar with it, but it actually includes more than just the birth of Jesus. There was an older woman named Elizabeth, along with her husband, Zechariah, who were well past the childbearing years. Uh, and yet they are told by a messenger of the Lord that you are going to have a, a child. You are also going to give birth to a son. And this son is the one that we will come to know as John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And his role was to come and, and really prepare people for the, this, this Jesus, this God that is coming to, to earth. And so it is after the announcement of this one, of John the Baptist that we pick up the story of the birth of John's cousin. And to introduce that to us, Hannah is going to read these words from Luke chapter 1, beginning at the 26th verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Thank you, Hannah. All right. 
I think about the ways that I respond to crazy news when it just comes over on my cell phone, you know, that, that all, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at a text message or seeing something that might be pushed out to me and give it, you know, give the, you know, or I'll start laughing or I'll be like, sweet, whatever it might be. There's a, a number of different reactions that I have. And that's just with my smartphone, right? Now imagine if an angel of the Lord is coming and getting up in your joint. It's not just your smartphone, okay? It would be a shocking interaction that Mary would happen here. It's crazy when we get news, right, that we immediately know has some sort of personal implication for us. But what happens when the news has more than just a personal implication? What if it has global, if not cosmic, implications well, that's what's going on right here. Mary is, is receiving a message through this supernatural means, this messenger of the Lord, and this is crazy. A few observations about this story is that I think it's right then that this story uh, describes Mary as troubled by this greeting of the Lord, even though the Lord is saying, the, the messenger is saying, the Lord is with you. But then comes one of the most important invitations of the gospel, and it's the first invitation of Christmas. If you tuned me out, tune me back in now. Because it's an invitation that you need to hear. Did you catch it? The simple invitation, do not be afraid. Now, as we've already talked about, as we reflect on the events of this last week, we know that we live in a world of pain and chaos. There's a lot in this world that is actually seeking to make us scared. The whole strategy of terrorism is to leverage people's fear in order to bring about change by creating chaos that gives the perpetrators a bargaining chip, right? That's what terrorism is. The whole goal of terrorism is to actually prove that we have something to fear, to validate our greatest fears, that we might, might die, that things might be different than what we really want them to be. That's what terrorism does. It validates our fears. And so the first invitation of the Christmas story is an important one to the world that we live in, just as it was important to Mary in the world that she lived in. Do not be afraid. Well, then this messenger, this angel goes on to say, you are going to conceive Mary and give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus, and he is going to be awesome. The son of the most high, the throne of David, the descendants of Jacob, all, and these are details that are all aspects of Mary's faith and upbringing that she would have understood really well, that would have been really important to her. But Mary responds as to, as, is to if to say, um, you lost me at give birth. <laughs> you see, I actually think that is one of the most important aspects of this story as well. If the first invitation of Christmas is do not be afraid, Mary responds to this, this crazy news, this shocking news, this surprising news by doing what? By asking a question. How can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? Now, when we think about Christmas, we might find this to be a peculiar response. A peculiar, peculiar, 
yeah, uh, I'm not very good at public speaking. I do it for a living. A peculiar response because we know Christmas is good news, right? It seems to me that of all the different ways that we could respond, that we've talked about with anger, with confusion, uh, certainly one of them could have been with happiness, okay? I mean, when, when we hear people, when we see people receive good news, even as trivial as it might be, I don't know why I was thinking about this when I was writing this talk, but even when somebody, you know, hears their name and it's followed with, come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right, they go completely berserko, right? It's good news, even though it's just a game show and they go nuts. Okay, why isn't that more of the response of Mary? Why isn't she just jumping up and down? Well, this is where we need to remember that Mary is a teenager. She's not yet married from a devout Jewish family. And to be unwed and be pregnant in Mary's time and in her culture would have been deeply, deeply shameful. To to the degree that Mary would worry about what other people think and what teenager doesn't, there is a tension in this news that would have kept her from jumping up and down. And yet she knows that it's good news. It seems a question is a very appropriate response right there. Now, the other thing that we would have to deal with here is that, as I told you, Mary was not yet married, but she was engaged to her beloved fiancé, Joseph. Well, what's he going to think? He's well aware, of course, of how babies are made, and thus he was well aware that he isn't what we might call an active participant in this process. Now, we're grateful for an account in the Gospel of Matthew that describes Joseph's uneasiness and notes that he had a plan to divorce Mary quietly before God similarly came to Joseph in a dream and said what? Does anybody know what Matthew said the angel said to Joseph? Do not be afraid. (laughs) Don't do it. No. He said, he actually said exactly the opposite. He actually said, do not be afraid. And he went on to say, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, in the tension of something that is all at once great news, but all at once very troubling, very disturbing, asking a question is a good response. To challenge the news based on the understanding that Mary always had about what makes something possible. And then, of course, she gets a reply to her question in verses 35 to 37. The angel essentially explains to Mary how God takes things that seem impossible and makes them possible through the work of the Holy Spirit and that God's promises are true for no no word from God will ever fail. And, of course, Mary responds by saying, let it be with me just as you say. Let it be true. Dear God, please let it be true. Now, the question I think we have to ask this story, that we have to ask the Bible, the text right away, is how is, it, how is Mary able to get there so fast? It's one supernatural experience with one witness, right? Now, how can she be okay with something that would be so terrifying for a young pregnant woman? One word. 
And that word is hope. You see, Mary, as the person she is that I described earlier, would know the scriptures. She would have grown up with them. She knows that God made a promise to bless the world through her people. She knows the promise, say, of Isaiah 7.14 that says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. You see, Mary had hope in something, not something that would necessarily make her famous, but simply that God would show his faithfulness to God's people and to the world. You see, Mary's hope is rooted in a deep faith that God will forever be with and be faithful to God's people. So when the angel says, God's word won't fail, Mary, she finds that to be absolutely consistent with the great hope of the scriptures that she had studied throughout her life. It is the faith of Mary, and I think Joseph as well, that moves them from fear to hope. For this young couple, the fear of shame and rejection, the fear of being alone is replaced by the hope of whatever shame, whatever loneliness they might have anticipated they they would experience in this incident. But they knew what, what did that is that this promise that God would be with them and that no word from God would ever fail. So their fear becomes hope based on what they know and what they believe to be the promises of God. Mary had a hope shaped by faith that allowed her to hear the response of of the question that she posed to the angel, how can this be, and led her to a place and go, oh, please let it be that way. It's well with me for that to to be the case, as terrifying as it may be. So what? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this story for us in the time that we are living at Christmas? What does this coach us in doing at Christmas and how we might respond? Three quick things that really we're just recapping. The first is this. Ask questions. Get curious about what Christmas means beyond nostalgia. Now, we can enjoy the season for all that it can and, and I think should be enjoyed for, things that we already love about this season. But I want to encourage you to ask questions and in doing so, engage differently with God this season. Do something a little bit different. The, the one who first taught me how to do this, to ask these types of questions, was Charlie Brown. Okay, Charlie Brown, uh, my mother was and continues to be an obsessive fan of the peanuts, of, of comic strip and cartoon fame. And is, is anybody familiar with the peanuts? Okay, did anybody in here watch a Charlie Brown Christmas? Okay, okay, good, good, all right, good for you. Well, then, then some of you will know, um, well, for me, as a kid, I would watch a Charlie Brown Christmas at least once a week between Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
And of course, there in, in a Charlie Brown Christmas, there is this moment right here where as Charlie Brown is seeking to conduct the school Christmas pageant, in a moment of being, uh, being a bit desperate, he kind of throws his hands up and goes, can anyone tell me the true meaning of Christmas? At which point his buddy Linus, we all need a friend like Linus, okay, steps up, grabs the mic, goes up on stage and says, I can tell you the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown, and then does what? He actually recites the Christmas story from the gospel of Luke from memory, okay? Mic drop, booyah, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, okay? Yes, hey, have it. Have a friend like Linus or be a friend like Linus. If Linus can memorize the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke, so can you. Just saying. You see, the other thing that I would point out about Mary, about this whole idea of asking questions, as Charlie Brown asks the question, what does this all mean? As Mary asks this question, how will this be? It seems to me that even as one like Mary, who is highly favored, has been given this specific role, so many of you are here tonight seeking to know, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my role? In the same way that Mary is asking a question as she gets this news about the role that she will play. And so I really think that what we're talking about is a question of discerning your calling to the degree that you are interested in this idea of what am I supposed to do with my life, what Mary does is coach us in saying, ask a question about that. As we seek to respond to the gospel, and as we do that in different ways at Christmas, what does it mean for us as people called to give good gifts? People called to serve the poor. People called to relinquish. People called to love. We can ask questions of God about what does this mean? How can this be? And expect that God will be with us. Let's ask some questions uh, at this season. Second, wonder. What do all these lights on, on and outside of my house mean? Why is there this giant tree in my living room? Okay, you might be going, Ryan, this sounds a lot like asking questions. Okay, touche. But here's what I think wonder is, okay? The difference between questions and wonder is that when there isn't a conclusion, or even better, in my opinion, where there are just too many possibilities to the questions that we might be asking, that's a moment where we can just stop and be and enjoy that moment for whatever it may be worth to just experience that moment and the, the wonder, the joy of it. Uh, my oldest son, when he was about, he must have been about 15 months old. I remember we were decorating our house for Christmas. And the whole time we were doing that, there was just this, this sense of, of Carson, you know, all at once being overwhelmed. But he would always stay in the room where we were doing the decoration. So much so that throughout the season, there would be times where we would just, we would just kind of plop Carson down uh, right next to the Christmas tree, and he would just sit there and, and look at everything, everything that was new, everything that was different about this house. And it's, it's one of my favorite things to do is to imagine what is this little person thinking? What is going through their head? There is just something that is just so sweet to, 
that, that I'm almost jealous about. I want to see the world through their eyes. I want to see the world through Carson's eyes in that moment. But what I imagine is that he was just taking in, there is something different about what is going on in our house right now. And that's the type of wonder I want to invite you to as you encounter questions that perhaps don't have an answer or that have too many answers. Just stop and enjoy. Embrace the wonder of what it means that this this child would somehow bring heaven to earth. Wonder about that. Stop and just think about it for a second. So much of the Christmas story invites us to consider the impossible. To consider the impossible and to consider a God that seemingly makes the impossible possible. Finally, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid because in Jesus, in this little baby, God has said, I'm going to rescue you. I will rescue you. Jesus is is kind of God's God's line. It's, It's that line that he throws in to a drowning world and says, I got you. You see, this is a season where I, if I'm being honest with myself, find myself even at almost age 40, scared to death about the future. I still find myself at times anxious about what people will think of me if I make bad decisions. I'm scared of the ways that anger and bitterness that goes unchecked could isolate me from friends and family and other opportunities. I'm scared of the things that are out there that I cannot control. And the invitation at Christmas, as we ask questions and as we wonder, is to not be afraid. To not be afraid because in Jesus, heaven collided with earth. And thus has provided an opportunity for us to not be afraid, and to experience something different. Because God has given us rescue, and he's done it in a little baby. And it is a mystery, a gorgeous mystery that I cannot fully explain. And so we ask questions. And so we wonder that it might somehow lead us just a little bit deeper into knowing this God that has moved into the neighborhood with us and promises always to be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you engage with us before we ever engage with you. God, we pray that as we ask questions, as we wonder, as we come to you with our fears, that you would take them and that you would have your way, that you would relieve us of that fear, that you would help us know you more, 
because we engage differently this season, show us a different way that we might live because of who you are uh, as we engage the holiday season of 2015. Would you do something in our lives? Would you change us? And would you help us know uh, your presence with us uh, throughout the season? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.